Welcome to The Writer Type, an invaluable resource for writers which can also be accessed by people who are sober. This abundant cornucopia of writerly wisdom and knowledgeness is now available in the innovative cutting-edge podcast to which you are currently listening, offering you an audio experience that's completely unique if you've never previously heard someone talking when they're not actually in the room with you, which I'm not. Or am I not? Perhaps I am. Perhaps I'm right behind you in the room, or wherever you're listening to this. Or perhaps not. But it does bring us very neatly to the topic I want to discuss, which is all about the space where you work, or to use a technical term, workspace. As a writer, you're naturally concerned with the life of the mind. In fact, some people may accuse you of living in your head too much. Don't worry, those people also live in your head. But let's step out of your mind for a moment and consider the physical environment in which you work. Starting at the bottom, what should you sit on? Some people say a comfortable chair is essential, while others recommend a hard seat because it keeps you alert. However, if you find that what you're writing sends even you to sleep, you may want to reconsider this whole idea of being a writer. Not that there's anything wrong with sleep, and research has shown that a short nap can be of great benefit, but not if it happens to your readers every time they open your book. And, as a general rule, if you take a nap in the afternoon that lasts longer than three hours, it's not really napping. That's called getting an early night. Just accept that it's game over and go to bed. And by the way, that feeling you sometimes get just as you're dropping off to sleep at night, that sudden jolting sensation, it's a perfectly natural physiological phenomenon. It's simply caused by ghosts trying to drag you down to hell. So, to sum up, If you happen to be one of those people who can work productively for a good long stretch, then take a short nap, and then return to your desk relaxed and refreshed, please remember that everyone hates you. However, if you're the type who wakes up every morning feeling sad and tired and wondering why everything hurts like a normal person, you're probably going to need somewhere to lie down in the day. One solution is to have a couch or a bed in the room where you work. That way, if you're feeling a bit stale, you can take a break from your desk. Go and lie down on the couch for a few moments. Relax, get a different perspective. Don't force the ideas to come. Free your imagination to take you wherever it wants to. Unclench that mental fist. Slip into a more creative space where there's no stress. And you can... What? Ah, yes, just resting my eyes there for a moment. Of course, you have to be very disciplined about this kind of thing. Yes, it's good to take a break and have a rest, but you need to ration those rest periods. The best approach is to treat them like one of the rewards you give yourself after you've done some work, such as having a coffee or a cigarette or a few Bloody Marys or sticking pins into a little wax doll of your agent. It's important to be good to yourself. Feel comfortable about what you're doing. And remember, always believe in yourself. Unless you're a ghost. What kind of idiot believes in ghosts? Get over yourself. But above all, never be afraid to dream. Which is what to say when your boss catches you sleeping at your desk. And when it comes to a desk, what type is best? How big should it be? Small and cosy? Or large enough to hide under when things aren't going well? 
Look, don't be afraid to admit that perhaps you'd like to spend some quality time beneath your desk. Go for it. You'll discover there's a whole world under there. Go ahead and explore it. Get to know the space and become comfortable in it. Drape a blanket over the front and construct a den. Take some snacks in. Popcorn, chocolate, maybe some peanuts, lemonade, a selection of sandwiches, tinned fruit and vegetables, a bottle of scotch, a couple of crates of beer, a small stove, a few steaks, a squid, some live chickens and goats, nylons, chewing gum, false papers in the identity of a Belgian fisherman, some gold coins, a pistol, ammunition, that type of thing. Be honest, wasn't that exactly the kind of fantasy you enjoyed when you were a kid? And then they told us to grow up, which turned out to be terrible advice. Let's face it, sometimes the most sensible course of action is simply to go and live under your desk and never come out. Now, let's move on to the general atmosphere of your workspace. How can you combine a sense of freedom and comfort with a feeling of being energised and totally focused? Well, you can't, but at least you can try to ensure that your work environment has a positive vibe. Now, that's an elusive quality, so keep an open mind about ideas that may seem irrational or even mystical. For example, it would be easy to mock something like feng shui, but that's no reason not to do it. So, here are some feng shui tips. Avoid long, unbroken passageways in your dwelling, lest ghosts use them for skateboard practice in the night. It is inauspicious when mirrors, telescopes or surveillance cameras are aligned to clandestinely observe your neighbour's bedroom. For tranquil sleep at night, leave your bathroom door open so your dreams may use the toilet if they wish. Alright, I made those examples up. But look, anyone who pays someone else to order them to move their own furniture around is asking for trouble. All we really need is a place that's warm and dry and isn't haunted by evil spirits. However, don't throw the baby out with the bathwater. And don't throw the bathwater out either, just top it up with some hot and I'll get in later. But the point is that your physical environment affects your work, and even something like the colour scheme of your workspace can have an impact on what you write. For example, if the walls are painted red, it might help you write about a blood-soaked murder. Admittedly, it can be pretty time-consuming to change the way your workspace looks to match your creative material, especially if you have to put up striped wallpaper every time you want to write some dialogue. So, let's leave aside the question of visual stimulus and focus instead on sound. Try this simple experiment. First of all, close your eyes, but not if you're listening to this while you're driving or doing the ironing, or mowing the lawn, or chopping vegetables in the nude. However, if you're in a position to do this safely, close your eyes and try to empty your mind. Become aware of your breathing, your pulse, the throbbing of your blood coursing through your veins. You see, it's never totally silent. You can't escape the sounds of your body, the creaking of your joints, the tiny flutter of your eyelids the slight crinkling of your arteries, hardening because of all the unhealthy foods you've been eating. And can you hear a very faint, high-pitched whine? That could either be the central heating or a tiny insect trapped in your ear. Whatever. But those almost imperceptible, ever-present sounds 
are simply the natural processes of your physical being. They are the irrepressible vitality of existence. Be still and listen to the song of life itself within us. And outside us, yes. Our bodies, our bodies are always with us. So let's accept that we can't create complete silence. Instead, let's open a window. Ah, there, that's better. Let's allow the natural sounds of our environment to be whatever they are and to wash over us, whether it's the bustle of the town, the sounds of suburbia, or the daily ebb and flow of rural life. Let's accept these natural sounds and let them in to become an organic part of our working... Wait a minute. Go, get out! Shoot, shoot, go, go away! Out, out, out! Sorry, I'll just, I'll just close the window. Ah, oh, there. Sorry about that. I've no idea where all those ducks came from. Uh, just give me a moment. I need to, to clean up a bit. There's shit everywhere here. <clears throat> OK, let's get back to the workspace itself. Sometimes, of course, you have no choice about where you write. We'd all love to sit in an oak-panelled library with an open fire and a leather armchair, although it's probably best to leave if there's a fire in the armchair. But if you're lucky enough to have a separate space dedicated to your writing, no matter how small, you must establish that it's your private territory and guard it fiercely. Realistically, there's absolutely no need for the other members of the family to use that bathroom more than once a day. And talking of families, children in particular can be a huge distraction. Remember, kids need boundaries. Many people find that an electric fence works well. But above all, your workspace must be a place where you feel creative and inspired. For many people, that place is Tuscany. But for writers who aren't able to move to another country altogether, there's always the choice to retreat a shorter distance from home and work, for example, in a garden shed. However, you need to check a few things before you decide on this option. Firstly, have you got a garden? Really? OK then. But you have to remember that a garden shed can get cold in the winter. There's no plumbing, and it's full of implements that may have once been tools of some kind, but are now permanent exhibits in what is essentially a museum of rust. And in most garden sheds, there's often a dark corner containing a shapeless pile of unidentifiable matter that could be anything from a rotting duvet full of baby clothes to a hibernating alien life form. For these reasons, and others, some people would prefer to write in a more functional space, further away from the cares of domesticity. And for subwriters, the idea of a cabin in the woods is the ultimate fantasy. Imagine it. There you are in your simple but sturdy refuge, miles away from civilization. Throughout the day, all you hear is the singing of birds, the gentle rustling of the trees, the occasional snuffle of a small woodland creature, and perhaps the distant burble of a hidden stream winding its way through the verdant undergrowth. What could be more conducive to creativity? And at the end of a long working day, as dusk gathers around your little cabin and the light softens in the forest, you cease your labours, pour yourself a drink, and hearken to the sounds of the natural world preparing itself for the night. Soon the gloaming fades, for darkness falls quickly here in the deep woods. Within a matter of moments, it seems, the small windows of the cabin frame nothing but pitch blackness. 
As you close the curtains with a sudden shiver, you become aware the sounds of the forest have changed. The rustling of the trees is sharper, the birds no longer sing, and instead a series of stark animal cries pierce the night, along with a faint but regular swishing sound that you can't quite identify. An owl hoots and is answered by another. The liquid burble of the hidden stream seems more insistent. The swishing sound is closer. A wind is rising with the moon and... Wait, what is that swishing sound? Now that you listen carefully, it's not so much a swishing as a squelching. And it seems to be getting closer. Something is out there. What is it? That sound. Could it be footsteps? Yes. Slow, dragging steps, sucking at the damp soil as they move towards you, getting closer. And now you can hear another sound, like breathing, painful, wheezing gasps that seem to convulse the broken, lurching, squelching body of, of what exactly? Whatever it is, it means to harm you. You sense a malignancy emanating from this creature, and then you realise... The stories you write, all those characters you created only so that you could kill them, and the ways you did it, the cruel, ingenious deaths. You thought you were so clever when you contrived to have your antagonist fall into an industrial mincing machine, and you described his screaming, roaring agony so vividly as he was slowly ground to a pulp. But what if he didn't die? How could he? He was never truly alive. He was someone you invented just to describe his hideous death. And what if he was somehow able to rebuild himself, to remake his body out of all that mashed tissue and clotted blood and torn skin and crushed bone? And not just him. There are others out there. Mangled bodies, lacerated corpses, dragging themselves towards you. They're everywhere. Surrounding the cabin, coming closer, closer. There's only one thing to do. Open your laptop, pray the battery is charged, and frantically, desperately, with trembling fingers, as the blood pounds through your brain, try to remember them all and rewrite them. Think of a way to undo those deaths, each and every one of them. Restore them to ordinary, harmless life. For God's sake, hurry! Now it's time to consider another way to make your workspace a calm, creative area that offers comfort, inspiration and a welcome refuge from the howling existential dread that mocks the futility of all human endeavour. But be warned, this next topic may prove controversial. The fact is that there's a certain type of person who hates feeling lonely but can't stand too much human company. That person is a writer. And for some writers the solution to the problem is to have a pet. But you need to be careful about this. For example, it can be very weird if a dog just sits there all day watching you write, especially if you don't have a dog. But if you do, you probably think of the animal as some kind of pal, or at least a creature that isn't secretly plotting to rip your throat out the moment you stop feeding it. No, that would be a cat. Whoa, 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 I was kidding, cat lovers. Hey, if you don't mind losing a day's work when a cat strolls across your keyboard, good for you. 
just so long as you understand what's most important to a cat, which is the absolute necessity at unexpected moments, often but not exclusively just as you're waking up, for you to admire the awesome beauty of its anus, which can only be fully appreciated by close inspection as the cat shoves it in your face. Not that dogs are any better. Just when you're totally in the zone, they suddenly do that thing where they stand up, turn several full circles and lie down again for no reason at all. What's that all about? It's a mystery. But many scientists are beginning to suspect that these apparently simple, uncomplicated creatures may have the same needs, vulnerabilities and neuroses as the person you've just finished a relationship with. But hold on, we're getting obsessed with dogs and cats here. When it comes to pets, there are plenty of other candidates. Have you thought about an owl? You should. An owl has probably thought about you. They think about everything, which is what makes them so wise. Also, an owl's head revolves, which could be highly diverting and means you can use the owl to clean your computer screen. So take my advice. Think about an owl. When you've done that, think about a chameleon. Where the hell is it? It was here a minute ago. Crafty little bugger. Well, another option could be to keep a pet monkey. Remember what they say. Give a man a fish and he'll eat for a day. But give a monkey a beer and some fireworks and you've got yourself a party. But a writer's life can't be a constant party, despite what they would have you believe. And a monkey could prove too much of a handful. It can also be a problem when the monkey turns out to have an infinite number of friends and they keep arriving at your door with typewriters and the next thing you know your house is full of monkeys working on a new Shakespeare play. The noise of typing alone is enough to drive you insane. So, what about a parrot? I won't have one, thanks. I had one earlier. But you go ahead. Good luck with that. The only positive thing about parrots is that we share a common language, unlike snakes, which some people keep as pets. Personally, I wouldn't be seen dead with a snake, although people often are, especially with snakes like cobras, vipers and other loathsome spotted serpents. Which brings us to goldfish. What could be less trouble than a goldfish? But that's exactly what they want you to think. You see, goldfish may look harmless and tranquil, swimming around that little bowl, but they're extremely temperamental. They take offence very easily, and if they believe you've insulted them in any way, they become enraged and plot to kill you. But, looking on the positive side, they never bear a grudge for very long. Usually, it's all over in a matter of seconds. In many ways, this is the most sterling quality of your small orange friend in a bowl. As I always like to say, goldfish, quick to anger, quick to forgive. And finally, there are mice and rats. There are mice and rats everywhere. Without a doubt, dozens of mice are living in your walls, ceilings and under your floorboards at this very moment. And as for rats, don't even go there. You won't have to. They'll come to you probably tonight. They're much closer than you think. Sleep well. Hello, and here's today's writing tip. When in doubt, begin with a sex scene, and then get down to some work. <laughs>